You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch. For the geeks and all the geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geeks Watch, and this week we are starting off Westworld Season 2, John. I'm already emotionally devastated. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of the week for emotional, emotional, emotional devastation. Uh, uh, we saw Avengers Infinity War this week. I didn't so much watch it as I just let it have its way with me. <laughs> You just let it play through you, kind of yes. thing. It's it's very it's a very emotional movie, and you know that it's 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 super uh, packed. I, I guess is a good way for me to put it. It's just packed. Like every minute of that movie is just packed with information and like things to watch, and nothing is wasted really. No, and some fantastic character interactions that uh, were just so. Like, note perfect. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Infinity War before we get into Westworld Season 2, Episode 1. Uh, first, let's talk about some geek news. Uh, big week this week for movies because they had CinemaCon in Las Vegas. Now, this is a convention that is essentially was started so that uh, Hollywood could uh showcase their upcoming movies for the year to different um theater companies so like Lowe's and uh AMC and Harkins and you know all these different companies throughout the country can be like okay yeah these uh, we're going to order this movie to come to our theater we're going to order that movie kind of thing and uh they they get up and I think I mean it's now open to the public also to come to come so it's not just an industry thing but it, the tickets are super expensive for it but they did a lot of the movies that we, we, we love to talk about on this show uh, showed up there. Uh, what were some of the things that you heard from CinemaCon? Uh, first thing I heard that jumped out at me is uh, they had a description of Glass, which is a, a movie we're both looking forward to. Yes, very much so. I, Unbreakable was an amazing movie for me, and then Split was just an incredible, I don't know, mind blow. <laughs> If you put them all together, what would that make? Unbreakable split glass? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that actually uh, works that way, but... Or glass plus split equals unbreakable. I don't know how... It, <laughs> there's a formula in there somewhere where this will work. This, I bet. It's all going to make one big sentence eventually. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it's an interesting synopsis because uh, it kind of explains where the characters are, I guess, at some point during the story. And it makes sense for a glass... That he is in some kind of insane asylum, um, but also the Beast and uh, Bruce Willis's character Dunn was his name David Dunn, yeah, Dunn, yeah. They're there as well, and I guess they're all being treated simultaneously for 
whatever the therapist believes they are suffering from, not realizing that they're actually just the physical embodiment of the archetype of what superheroes and villains eventually would become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, that's what is what what was shown. I don't know if it's necessarily something that's going to be in the movie or if it's just something to showcase, you know, the characters. It could be either way. And, and I think we, we talked about this a little bit. You you said, you know, Shyamalan is the kind of guy that could pull this off. And, you know, it is a very much a sci-fi trope for TV shows to have the episode where uh, you do where the, the main antagonist who, or protagonist, whoever it is, you know, if they have special powers, that they're actually inside of an insane asylum and all their adventures up to that point have all just been a delusion and all the characters in, in the show are usually like either other inmates or uh, orderlies or doctors and stuff like that. Like even Legion uh, does that as a, uh, as a episode where they try and convince David that it's all just in his mind. Yeah, it's so. very tried and true trope, and it would make sense though. I mean, imagine David Dunn gets arrested, you know, for vigilanteism. They tie him to all kinds of, you know, beatings of criminals and whatnot. "Quote unquote" criminals. Yeah. So, you know, what are they going to do with him? Like this guy's clearly, you know, something wrong with him. So, let's get him checked out. Get him uh, some therapy. And the Beast. Well, that one kind of goes without saying. <laughs> if he did get caught, they would want to lock him up in some kind of special ward. You know, he's got cannibalism and murder under his belt, and. Depending on how they caught him, they could have even seen him crawling on the wall. They'd be like, "Whoa! Like this is not within our pay grade." Mm-hmm. Got to send him to the uh, the shrink. Uh, so, what was it? Was some some other things that you saw? I know uh, Suspiria was something that was Suspiria. Yeah, a horror movie that is not one of my favorite from the seventies or was it late sixties? Um, but I really like it just for how stylistic it was back in the day. It really used color extremely uh, creatively. Uh, well, there's a remake of it, and uh, Dakota Johnson, I believe, is the mm-hmm. lead. Dakota Johnson, yes, famously so, of the Fifty Shades Gray Gray movies. See, I like I I remember her more as the uh, cute butt girl from The Social Network. The cute butt girl is that the one that was with uh, uh, Justin Timberlake's character. Yes. Oh, okay. With uh, Napster guy. The whole three minutes she's in the movie. That's, I remember her okay. butt vividly. I mean, I didn't watch the Fifty Shades movies, but I know that she's the star of those movies, John. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I refuse to acknowledge her existence, so I default to oh. uh, she had the cute butt in the social network. <laughs> she's uh, Don Johnson's daughter. Don Johnson yeah. and uh, Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith, yeah. yeah. And she was also the cheerleader from um, 21 Jump Street. Oh, that I don't remember. Yeah, she was She was also working out of 21 Jump Street, and like they were bragging about how much more successful they were oh, being a okay. part of it. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, so. But I remember my cute butts. That's why she <laughs> sticks in there. Fine enough. Fair enough. Uh, Susperia, did you, was there something that you heard about it that you wanted to talk about? I did. I heard some really interesting and promising things about how it's really disturbing, graphic, and violent. Well, that sounds like it might be on the right track then I, yeah. I would imagine that kind of movie would do well see because uh we had a little uh, you know time period where we had a lot of torture porn and a lot of gore but no real creativity behind it it was just hey look we're hacking this body to pieces look how realistic the blood and guts and gore and bone is but if you do it without any kind of real meaning or creativity behind it it's just like watching something get butchered you know 
just makes you think about having some cold cuts and deli meats. <laughs> but here, it sounds like there's actually like the supernatural elements in full display, and you're seeing bodies get torn apart and cracked in half and floating around the room, being tossed around by psychokinetic powers. It sounds really cool. Uh, all right. Was there anything else coming out of CinemaCon that you really wanted to talk about? Uh, one last one, which is kind of a weird one. Um, apparently... Dark Phoenix is dropping the whole connection to X-Men and its branding. It's still going to be an X-Men movie. But it just won't be called X-Men Dark Phoenix. It would just be called Dark Phoenix. Yeah, it'll just be called Dark Phoenix. And the word around the campfire seems to be that it's because Disney is, in fact, going to be uh, acquiring all of the Fox properties, including the X-Men franchise. And this is the start of basically disassociating it because once this movie comes out, they are wiping the slate clean. It's going to be all new X-Men, if at all, and that will be more than likely incorporated into the MCU, and you know this group will have no place in it. Uh, I mean, I can see that, and I just don't think that that's a smart move on Disney's part. Like, They're already going to play the Marvel uh, logo before the movie, just like they've done with the other stuff, so I don't see why you need to do that for this. It's, I mean, I understand what you're saying that they're going to come back and they're going to make their own thing when it, when it happens, but when they finally get, get the rights and make their own movies. But I just think that that doesn't seem like uh it just doesn't seem like a move that needs to be done. But then again, I don't work at the head of a giant studio. So what do I know? Yep. And I mean, Marvel seems to be knowing what they're doing lately. So yeah, yeah, they they're making all the money in the world. So there you go. Uh, also, they had a they uh, the trailer for Venom came out in CinemaCon, and then it got leaked on air, on online. So then yeah, they right. so it would push um, uh, Sony to go ahead and release it early. Uh, they were they were only gonna they were gonna release it during Avengers: Infinity War, but then it, so it got released a little early. Then uh, there was the trailer for uh, Halloween the new Halloween movie that, yeah. that the synopsis for that is out there. And, uh, the synopsis for the Aquaman trailer was also out there, I believe. Interesting. So those are all things. If you want to go look it up, you can go find them online. Uh, first thing I wanted to talk about and, you know, goes with this podcast, particularly game of Thrones. Uh, George R. R. Martin confirms winds of winter, not coming out in this year. So, how do you feel about that, John? At this point, I feel like winter's never going to come. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like um, we're going to move on from Game of Thrones onto the Game of Thrones spinoffs, and you know, <laughs> a few of those before we even get the finish of the the Song of Fire and Ice saga. It'll be a Game of Thrones animated series, and. Uh... Choose your own adventure type stories, probably to cover the time in between. There'll probably be a movie at some point. <laughs> yeah, I actually would really hope that they did that. Like, make the last, um, the finale be like basically a two-hour, maybe even two and a half-hour movie. It just it's nothing but just one giant action sequence. <laughs> I think it just make too. It just it'd be too much, and people's heads would explode if you do two and a half hours. I mean. If you get the Russo brothers to direct it, though. Oh, my God. They can't direct everything. <laughs> Give them all the money. <laughs> They've earned it. Uh, and then you also wanted to talk about... Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. 
Um, a dude who is interesting, to say the least, <laughs> um, is going to be producing and co-writing scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah, a, a very familiar book from all of our childhoods, I would say. Yeah, I, I definitely remember growing up. And the story that sticks out the most to me, I don't know why this one of all of them does, but... It's the story of the family that goes vacationing in Mexico. Maybe that's why, because it took place in Mexico. And Maybe. I happen to be really close to it. And they think they find the Chihuahua, and it's, they bring it back with them as a pet. Is it actually the Chupacabra? It's actually just a large rat. <laughs> I don't remember this story, yeah. but that's funny. And it had rabies. Oh, of course it did. Yeah, so that was like... Whoa, I don't know why that shook me. Isn't uh, the the Green Ribbon story from Scary Stories You Tell in the Dark? Probably, I just don't remember that one specifically. Yeah, that's the one with the, the, the guy who marries the woman that has a green ribbon around her neck, and he asks her over and over, "What's the, why do you wear that green ribbon all the time? And then she doesn't tell him until the, you know, the day that she's about to die that it kept her head on or something. Like, he pulls the ribbon off and her uh, head falls yeah. off. <laughs> and it's been turned into a meme now that, like, you know, it... it, it that the the last thing she says to him is like, "Oh, I'm actually a dude," kind of thing, or like stuff like that. <laughs> uh, but I don't, I, I don't, I think that's from scary stories, but it, I could be completely wrong. That fits right in, though. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, reminds me of Tales from the Dark Side too. That, yeah, that exactly. So that's going to be turned into a TV show. Uh, no, I think it's going to be a movie. Let's see. On a one of the f- our favorite thing about Game of the Toro, you know, aside from. Uh, his immeasurable talent, endless depth of knowledge, and ability to scare the pants off each each and every one of us in, in the Nerdist family. This is from the Nerdist uh, website, obviously. Uh, the latest bit of news from the Hollywood Reporter is that Del, Del Toro himself will be co-writing scary stories to tell in the dark with screenwriter Dan and Kevin Hagman, uh, who had previously worked in the brilliance that was uh, the Lego movie and also worked in Crimson Peak director of this Netflix and DreamWorks animated series, Troll Hunters. Del Toro likewise produced the new feature, uh, though directing duties will fall to Andre Orvidal, director of completely separate Troll Hunter movie, if you can believe that, as well as the autopsy of Jane Doe. So it will be made into a movie. He's gonna help, Del Toro is going to help write it, and he's going to produce it, but he will not direct it. I'm okay with that. Yeah? And that's kind of... It brings back some of the roots of Del Toro. Cause the first thing I remember him being involved in way back in the 80s, I want to say it must have been like 87 or 88. Yes, I'm that old. I remember him being involved <laughs> in a anthology series. Um, essentially, like the translation is kind of like The Witching Hour. Okay. Uh, it was like La Hora Marcada was what it was called originally in Spanish. For all of our Spanish-speaking audience yes. members. And... Um, yeah, there was there was this. None of the stories were related, but there was this theme of like a woman that was dressed all in black and had a black veil, and she was essentially either death or some kind of malevolent spirit who wandered around, stumbling upon scary stories. And the story that Guillermo del Toro did um, involved the artist with the neck brace. You can already see how, like, it's the details that sell the story. <laughs> who's hungry one night, so it goes to a nearby uh, burger joint that's open late. And all of the servers and the workers there basically look like big boys. Like, even down to wearing, like, a big helmet and right. kind of a goofy-looking costume. 
And uh, I guess it turns out that the guy that runs the place actually was employing zombies that he would make in his own basement out of people. Like he would give them an acid bath and do something to their brain, essentially lobotomize them. So if any of them took their helmets off, they looked like all deformed. Oh. And I remember the guy found this out and then they went after him and then they made him into one of them. And it was such a dumb premise. Even as a seven-year-old, I remember thinking, this is so stupid. But the way he showed it was so well done. It was genuinely creepy. And that's when I realized, man, some people are gifted storytellers and other people are just fucking hacks. <laughs> well, that's good, I guess. that It's what you remember him from and helps uh, for this coming up. And interestingly enough, there was no cute butts in this episode, but I still remember it. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm sure. I don't. I don't know. I guess I can't say that because I don't watch Troll Hunters on Netflix. But uh, I'm sure that with Guillermo del Toro being a part of it somehow, I'll probably end up watching it. Because I, I even watched Crimson Peak, which was not a good movie. <laughs> yeah, and I heard Pacific Rim too didn't do very well. Well, I mean, he didn't have any really anything to do with that. He wasn't involved anymore. Uh-uh. I mean, he might he might have been had an executive producer credit, but that's just because he made the first one. Most likely, yeah. Because yeah. even Tim Burton was attached in name only to like Forever and Batman and Robin. So mm, that yeah, makes I sense. See that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk a little bit about Infinity War. A little bit of news coming off of this. And this is from earlier today. So who knows what Sunday did for the box office. But uh, let's see. Uh, uh, the movie was yet to open in China. Oh, no. I can scoot back a little bit more. From the Wall Street Journal, uh, Adventures of the War set new records for the biggest domestic and global opening of all time this weekend, collecting an estimated $250 million in the U.S. and Canada and totaling $630 million around the world. Uh, the movie has yet to open in China, the world's number two market. With the latest release, Disney now has nine of the ten biggest box office domestic openings of all time. Avengers barely passed the domestic record held by Star Wars The Force Awakens, which made its debut to $248 million in 2015, trounced the $541 million global record set by last year's Fate of the Furious. The, study, the studio is an unprecedented box office streak. It crossed the $1 billion mark at the domestic box office in 117 days this year. Another industry record. I'd like to imagine that the DC executives are contemplating just how high they need to jump out of the building in order to make it terminal. I mean, it's, I just, I can only imagine that there is some, somebody over there at Warner Brothers that's, that's in charge of the DC uh, brand and, uh, and just wondering like, why is it that we can't crack this? What is it that we're doing wrong? And literally everybody else who watches these movies and, you know, is probably a fan is like, I can't believe you guys just don't see it. You don't see what it is that you're doing wrong with your <laughs> movies. And I, I, but then again, you know, they, they, their movies make money. They just don't keep making money. No. And they're not very well critically received. They're the not, yeah. They're never critically received except for Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is uh, yeah. really critically. I mean, received. They have to get a good one right someday. <laughs> it's, it's just the, the laws of probability, right? Yeah. So, uh, Let's let's talk a little bit about Avengers Infinity War. We'll try not to do any spoilers in this because we're just kind of talking a little bit about it. But be warned, there could be spoilers. So, 
how would you how did you feel john after watching the movie i guess about the movie not how did you feel because of events of in the movie i felt really tired <laughs> i was tense throughout a lot of the movie especially just, towards the third just, act just a lot of like like butt puckering just yeah. like <laughs> tensing up and strained muscles like i didn't know any specific spoilers but i did know a lot of stuff that was kind of like not spoilery but like i guessed correctly uh as to what peter dinklage's character was going to be you know okay so that's interesting Way back when we first announced that Peter Dinklage was going to be in the movie, you said that's who he was going to pl- he was going to play. And like since then, people have come on and articles have been written saying, "No, that's not this character. That he's not going to do that." Blah blah blah. But that's who he ended up being. I mean, that made sense to me just based on what I knew had to happen in the story. <laughs> and this is—I'm I'm not even talking about like this is after seeing Thor Ragnarok. This is like. Two years ago, <laughs> like when they announced him, like way early in production, that Peter Dinklage was coming on. I mean, we don't we didn't even know like the actors that were playing the the Black Order until a couple weeks ago, and we knew P- Peter Dinklage was going to be in the movie before anything was even shot. So, I I think it's hilarious that that's who he ended up being, even after so many people were like, no, he's not going to be playing that character. Yeah, some people thought he was going to be the voice of one of the Black Order characters, mm-hmm. and uh, other people thought he was going to be... Um, Modoc. Uh, yeah. And Puck was, a- was thrown around so much. I was yeah. like, why would Puck be in this movie? That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I mean, might as well throw Speedball in there. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, but, like, that made sense to me. And, like, dude, that would be so awesome. And I just felt like... Because I knew that Asgardian dwarves are, like, gigantic. Right. Even though they're dwarves. Mm-hmm. They, they tower over normal-sized humans for some reason in this universe. And I just thought that'd be kind of cool. He still plays a dwarf, but he'd be, like, towering over even the tallest Avenger. And that's exactly what he is. And He's... that's exactly what it was. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like, hey, that, kudos to me. Pat myself on the back. <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, and then the movie itself is just—it's just so good. Like if you've if you've watched all or any of the Marvel movies, at the, you know from the ten years that they've been making them now, this is just like the perfect icing on the cake. And you know the the next step into Avengers four, which we will get a year from now, like that's going to be the penultimate, I think. Yeah, and one of the things we talked about was, like, is there anything that would actually surprise us in the movie? And mm-hmm. there was one that audibly made me go, like, what? <laughs> like, I just did not see that one coming. So, okay, yeah. uh, spoiler right here. Was it was it the, the Red Skull? Yes. Yeah, I was not expecting that. Wait, what? <laughs> so, did you know who was that played him? Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't Hugo, Hugo Weaving. Weaving. I was surprised because I thought it sounded just like his. It did. His I Red was like, Skull. oh man, he's even got the same horrible German accent. <laughs> so it was Ross McQuand. I don't know if you know who that is or if you watch uh, The Walking Dead at all. No. But in The Walking Dead, he plays Aaron. But he is kind of very famous for on being on YouTube and doing a lot of uh, voice impressions. Like he he does like you know he does like those uh, here's so many in a, in a minute or whatever. He also has he like a, a, a few videos that that uh, floated around on on uh, Facebook of him doing it for I think EW or some some photo shoot or something like that where he he just breaks out into a whole bunch of voice impressions of different actors and stuff. So yeah, he not only mimicked 
Hugo Weaving, but he mimicked Hugo Weaving doing the Red Skull. Which, which I thought it was Hugo Weaving. Yeah. So holy crap. Yeah. Good on you, man. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that would be kind of the, one of the ways that we were able, they were able to keep it a secret that the Red Skull is going to show up because there's no reports of Hugo Weaving showing up to do any mocap or anything like that. That's what you got to do from now on. And for a split second, I'm like, holy crap, is this death? That's like awesome. <laughs> and then it kind of was, but no, it wasn't. It was No, and, and it's, it's funny that he would be a character that, you know, he's, the Red Skull is like, after his events in uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, he's doomed to be on this planet to sit there and and see the the um, the the soul gem or know how to get the soul gem, but can't get it because of the sacrifice you need to make to get to acquire the soul gem. Yeah, I was like, oh, serves you right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he can't do anything. He's just yeah, there. He's, he's just like incorporeal now. Like he was floating kind of. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's no food there for him to eat. So he had to, he, he's just kind of there. He just exists. Yeah. That's, that's kind of strange. I figured that uh, since he ended up there due to the, the the space jam, basically the Tesseract, I wondered if this was like some kind of alternate dimension. Because they seemed to kind of play with that idea a couple times in the movie where... There was like so a weird trip to like an ethereal plane, mm-hmm. especially dealing with the soul gem. So mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering if that was tied into it somehow. So one thing I really enjoyed about this movie, and uh, I have to say, it was a nice, nice turn of events because literally this is ten years in the making. Every other Marvel movie that we've had up to this point that involves Tony Stark, usually Tony has made a mistake that's really screwed up, and and you know is cost a lot for everybody else. You know what I mean? Uh, so, I mean, I mean, look, he, he creates the Jericho missiles, then it makes it so that he gets captured. He, uh, he creates Ultron, almost destroys the world. He, you know, bunch of things. So in this movie, finally 10 years, you know, of learning his lesson, he's the one that's spouting out, Hey, don't do that because you're going to, you're going to screw it up for everybody else. And yet we have the other brash character come in and, Screw it up for everybody else. Well, yeah, he's matured. He wants to settle down, start a family. And here's this hothead who's, you know, going based off of emotion only. And, yeah, he sees the folly of what that can do. He's like, hey, you need to, like, curb it or bad things can happen and bad things happen. And bad things happen, man. That movie, this movie was was just so... I have to really respect. I really respect how much we got each and every character like uh that was in the movie like actually gets a good part like it's not i i was i honestly thought there's no way that each character that they're going to be bringing into this is going to get a good amount of screen time and you know it's gonna i just figured it's just gonna be cameo after cameo but no like the movie actually involves a lot of dr strange i really didn't think that he'd have a big part in the movie the movie uh you know involves a lot of uh captain america vision you know all these all the characters that you see up there they all get a good amount of screen time not only that, but the fact that they made it work like that and every character interaction brings something to the table. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Star-Lord interacting with Thor and that whole sequence was just like awesome. <laughs> like the part where he's making fun of Thor's accent or he's trying to mimic it? I think so that- he's trying to like, uh, what's it called? He's... Uh, trying to like do a little macho competition yeah, or something. Yeah, he's definitely trying to uh out uh, yeah, I don't know. Out macho him. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely like a, a 
cock competition or whatever. <laughs> the roosters got ruffled up a little there. Um, and yeah, the Rocket Raccoon and uh, Winter Soldier. Which is like I, the fan interaction that I never knew I always wanted to see. Well, I mean, that's it's, it's definitely been an internet meme since uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy when... They're like, you know, Rocket's like, hey, uh, tell Bucky that I need his arm to, to complete this mission kind of thing. And, oh, I'm going to get that arm. And, and finally, it makes it into the movie. He's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to get that arm. It's, it was so And I wonder if that was because of, like, a direct result. Oh, it has to be. Yeah, because it, it was so It definitely has to be. Like, I, I just want to know is what James Gunn, like, when he wrote that into the first Guardians of the Galaxy, like, uh, Rocket's, like, obsession with prosthetic, you know, <laughs> limbs and, and parts and stuff like that why what what he thought if he thought that was going to be a, one a big internet phenomenon to make it into avengers infinity war you know i don't know if he thought that but it's very fitting for a raccoon because that's what the real raccoons do is like they find little shiny things and they like want to take them fair enough i didn't even think about it that way yes. but yeah you're right you're absolutely right so yeah i just i really really liked so much about this movie it kept me guessing as to what was going to happen I mean, we kind of know that the ending is sort of a, a a big fake out in some way or another, mm-hmm. but there were real consequences in this movie right from the beginning. If right from the beginning. So, I, I definitely think that there's a, there's a few things that are not going to be reversed, but I do think there's a lot of things that are going to get reversed in the next movie. Uh, I, what are some of the... It, and once again, here's some spoilers. What are some of the theories that you've heard thrown around now? Well, I've heard that, um, that's, well, my favorite theory I've heard so far is that the soul stone is actually Gomorrah. I had that theory. I had, I mean, I, 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 I haven't read it online, but I said the same thing. Like, I, you know, the, the fact that he had to get the soul stone, he has to sacrifice Gamora and her soul. Like that would only make sense that that's how they're going to defeat Thanos in the next movie is that her being inside the soul stone is going to, you know, affect him. Yeah. And the, the thing that convinces me that that theory might be credible is the fact that once he snaps his fingers and half the universe population starts to evaporate, uh, Thanos momentarily goes to that same ethereal plane we talked about, mm-hmm. and he sees like little girl Gamora, who asks him if he if it was worth it. Yes, and he kind of doesn't really say anything. Um, and that somebody was speculating, well, that's that's literally the Soul Stone asking him if this is exactly if this is what he wanted, and the reason why it was represented by Gamora is because the Soul Stone was created by her soul. Right. So the theory is that everybody that disappeared got sucked up into the soul stone and that you would have needed to have all the, cause I mean the soul stone itself has certain properties, but I know, you know, once you combine the different infinity stones or gems, if you're more comic inclined, <laughs> um, that, you know, the power of each one is increased exponentially. So, in order to be able to keep half the universe's population or souls stored in the stone, you needed to complete the gauntlet first. So, that's kind of where it's going. Where I, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a fake out. We know most of these characters are going to have to come back somehow. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, just, it, it, it doesn't serve Disney or Marvel Studios to have so many of their top tier characters because essentially the characters that all died quote unquote died 
are all the new characters. Like uh, all yeah. the original Avengers are still alive. So it's funny how that works. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's you couldn't go forward. You couldn't go forward. I mean, you could. They they really could make the next Black Panther movie with Shiri as the Black Panther. It's it's there's precedent for that. And we didn't see uh, Hawkeye or Scott Lang or Janet Van Dyne. So who knows where they are if they're still alive or not. And for if I if I understand correctly, I think the. Ant-Man and the Wasp movie that comes out later this summer is supposed to take place before the events of Infinity War. I suppose so. So maybe they, or maybe they just went into the microverse and they were so small that they could, they could, well, I don't know. That's still part of the universe. Why would it be exempt? Well, because you can't turn something as small as that into dust. I guess that'd be like creating a black hole. Fair enough. So, uh, all right. I, I I can't wait for a year. I I think you said it best in saying uh, you, if you could just uh, put you in cryo sleep for a year and, so you could wake up and just be ready for uh, the next movie. That'd be the best way to do it, right? Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and get into Westworld. Season 2, Episode 1. Episode 1, appropriately named Journey Into Night, which is... Uh, the, the the episode title is, is the name of Dr. Ford's final game-changing new narrative, which was introduced at the last scene of season one. That is correct. What did you, what did you think of the episode? There was, there was a lot going on in this episode. Yeah. I mean, right from the beginning, it starts off very inception-y. <laughs> he wakes up on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> wakes up on a beach, disoriented, dressed in a suit. Uh, wine glass nearby him for some reason and uh, there's a whole bunch of people there so let the the way that we're supposed to understand this is that we're looking at bernard in two different time periods we have we see him during the episode moments after the end of season one yeah and then there's there's this part where it's like supposedly weeks after the end of season one a couple of weeks yeah. yeah Because the new the guy that's from Delos, whoever he is, uh, is like you know you we've been it's been weeks since you came you've been gone, uh, or since we've been able to to hear anybody. So it's uh, we have to we 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 showed up to try and I don't know save people or figure out what's going on. One thing I wanted to bring up because I think it's very interesting. Is that we had what is that supposed to be Korean police Japanese police that were there or it was some kind of crazy task force and they were of asian descent yeah so what does this do with your theory of where westworld is like where where the amusement park like exists in the planet because we we throw it around like it had to be underground it had to be in outer space you know all the kinds of different things well now we know that it's accessible from water, like actually from the water, because that's where our, the the Dallas people came from, uh, instead of like on the ships or on the trains, I should say, yeah, that we've those, seen them do before. Those bullet trains that they had, and then now you have uh, this Asian task force that that they Delos officials are kicking off, saying, "Look, this is our property. You can't be here," kind of thing. We'll take care of it ourselves. Well, and not only that. But we also keep in mind that there's a huge underground component to it where we saw just how far this thing goes. It goes like 
potentially even miles underground. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's where all the headquarters and all the other yeah. stuff for the, the and, control rooms are. And there's also all the, the uh, I guess, adjacent parks. Because there's a total of, what, six other worlds? Or six worlds in total? Six worlds in total, yeah. And we, they even this is the first time we, they've kind of really mentioned the other parks. Which I wanted to ask you, like... Is was was Ford like in charge of all the parks, or was he only in charge of Westworld? I believe he was only in charge of Westworld. Wow, that seems weird. Like so, it seems like they developed the technology that was used in Westworld. You would assume that's the same technology they use in the other different worlds. Well, I I believe it probably started as a Westworld only, and then, and then it branched out to other interests as it went along. So probably Ford and his partner Arnold. Arnold, thank you. They came up with the idea for Westworld and then uh, Delos came in and was like, okay, well, you know, we'll make other worlds and they used their technology to make other worlds. But Ford was like, okay, but I'm just going to stick with Westworld. Like I'm just going to write the storylines for here and stuff like that. Is that, is that what you're assuming? Essentially? Yeah. I think he was the overseer of Westworld himself, but he also had the British guy that was doing the other narratives right? and doing dialogue. And I'm guessing that each branch has its own version of that. Um, I don't see uh, Ford as... I mean, Ford seemed to be more interested in the technology um, and, like, figuring out of, like, the host's brains, you know, how they learn and all that. Mm-hmm. Not so much the... So he's obsessed with the singularity? Yeah. I, I think that was his whole focus, and that's why he really kind of... But uh, as we discovered, that was only after Arnold had killed himself. Yeah, because I think he realized that Arnold was onto something. Right. And, like, Arnold was the the Wozniak to Ford's, you know, Steve Jobs. Like, you know, one was the, the showman. The, the other one was the science. The other one was the actual genius. <laughs> um, so this season, I think, is definitely going to focus on... Bernard quite a bit. At least it seems like that in the first episode. The other parts of the episode we saw were Maze or Maeve, uh, and her hanging around with um, uh, the 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 guy who writes the stories or tried to write stories. And Is then Jonathan is that his name? Yeah, it could be. It doesn't make it. <laughs> British guy. Um, and then you know we got to see a little bit of Dolores and Teddy. Now I also wanted to point out that it's interesting because Bernard, who we know is a host is hanging around with a whole bunch of humans trying to pretend that he's human. And by the time we get to the end of uh, Maeve's storyline in this episode, she has a human, and she's trying to make him pretend to be a host. Like, she's dressing him up like, you know, the, the, the guys, and basically to keep him alive, he has to pretend to be a host. Yeah, the tables are turning. I, I just find that as an interesting turn of events. And, you know, she's still on this journey of finding her her kid now we had this big discussion last season that uh is this part of her programming or is this her decision because we even heard about in her like when we saw that the programming the her storyline where it said that you're gonna try you're, it's gonna you're gonna make it almost away but you're gonna turn around and come back and then and that's in the, what she's she's doing she doesn't she doesn't get off the the theme park well a lot of that also has to do with like what is the drive and that's um there was a really interesting youtube video that kind of summarizes a lot of the themes in here drive was an interesting one 
um, because Dolores asks uh, a couple of real people that they're uh, basically stringing up to hang. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, "What's your drive?" And the one of the women who's scared for her life, she says, "She just doesn't want to die." And Dolores just kind of smirks and says, "Oh, right, survival. That's all you care about." And it's bringing into play, like, well, what makes humans different from hosts? You know, the hosts basically revolve around certain, you know, story beats that they have to, you know, fulfill. And their drive is only basically as far as what their programming is. And what I think they're trying to make the point of saying is that humans are also, in fact, programmed. But the programming is actually much more basic. It's survival. It's, you know, self-gratification. It's pleasure. And they have different levels of, you know, importance, um, you know, when there's no worry about your survival, which is, you know, in a place like Westworld, you can't die mm-hmm. you know, unless you fell off a cliff or something. But I'm sure even for that, they have like some security measures. Probably. So what is your drive then when you don't have to worry about your survival? Well, then you seek out your other base instincts, whether it's, you know, bloodlust, like a lot of people end up doing, just go on a murder spree. Like or William. you just start having sex with uh, all the, you know, other hosts that are there and, you know, live out some weird fantasies that way <laughs> as well. Um, or, you know, just go and be a dick. Or, you know, some people want to go out and be a hero. And I think that's part of what they were trying to get to in the first season when they say that this place will show you who you really are. Mm-hmm. And it showed William who he really was. You know, he was this meek, timid, kind of weak pushover. And when he finally got fed up, you know, and he just gave into it. But see, you know, I don't, I don't think that's true. Like that was William is it as 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 Ed Harris is a, a result of doing Westworld repeatedly. That's like that's like saying if someone came and tortured you every day for you know fifty years, like. Yeah, you, if you were to survive that and come out the other end, you're going to be a much different person. It's not going to be the true you. It's just going to be a different person. You know, it's gonna, you're going to have all that. It's like he came in there for the span of what thirty years, and he played out the same storyline over and over and over, trying to get something else. I don't think it's showing him the true him. It's showing him what the the new him, the the thing that the the world has shaped him into. So it's like a nature versus nurture type yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but I think that's that's one of the different things because there, I don't think there is a solid answer. No, I think it could be different things to different people. I think that's what the maze was all about in the first season. Mm-hmm. Is the discovery of who you are and like the truth for you might not even be applicable to the next person, which is why you know uh, the man in black was basically just wasting his time trying to find it because mm-hmm. it wasn't for him right that's not his truth which is kind of you know goes with what uh dolores says when she's has those people strung up she's like you know am i supposed to be dolores the 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 ranch hand daughter who you know is here to help move the story along or am i supposed to be wyatt you know who destroyed people destroyed other uh you know everything and, and kills people and stuff like that no no i think i'm something even different i am a third thing you know i'm i'm my own person now and she can choose to be one or right. the other mm-hmm. or neither which i you know even before the ending of the episode i just felt bad for teddy like <laughs> i feel like teddy is just just following him because following dolores because that's what his programming has told him to do is like to help dolores or help whoever and 
he's just sitting there lost. Like, like if a computer robot can be lost, that's him. He just he doesn't know what to do. Even at the point when like he like him and Dolores are having a discussion, and Dolores is like, you know, what are we gonna do next? And he's like, he kind of goes along with the whole, well, we'll find a little piece of this land for ourselves, and we'll you know we'll live till our days. And she and you kind of see it in her mind. She's like. Yeah, that's not what we do anymore. That's, you know, that's your old programming, but he just doesn't contemplate that. He doesn't I don't think he can he understands anything past the 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 stereotypical storyline of the the gun hand that comes into town and finds the the young girl to to be his wife and they they settle down in a piece of land somewhere. And oh, then yeah. at the end of the episode, Poor Teddy is dead in the water. Yeah, he's a bloated sack of host meat. What? I, which I I really want to know what what that all was supposed to mean. Yeah, there's a whole. Well, I mean, going back, this episode is told in a fractured narrative, exactly the same way as the first season. Mm-hmm. But now we know. But now we know, and we can't trust anything that we see. Uh, we really can't. We uh, one of the prevailing theories that's already popped on Reddit, and uh, again, I think there's some credence to this, is that um, a lot of what we're experiencing, as far as Bernard's storyline is concerned, is actually his little like brain light bulb uh, being plugged into one of those little iPad scanner thingies, and it's because it's damaged, it's jumping around in different time frames and. Uh, inconclusive things don't make sense things are like corrupt um so right now i don't even think we're living in either of the time zones or time zones uh timelines timelines in either of the timelines that we're seeing whether it's right after the uh, massacre or in the two weeks later uh timeline those are actually not even occurring in real time those are all basically just being replayed through one of those machines to try to figure out what happened it's like a virtual virtual reality platform basically essentially not, not even virtual reality but for virtual reality for us it's just because we're seeing it yes uh so you know his memory is damaged and they're trying to be reassembled and it's like jumping around and everything which would make sense because the uh, would not just make sense but you know some other credence is that is when you see bernard talking to dolores in the the little room that we'd seen in the previous season you know, he's like, "Oh, I I was on the beach and I was watching all of you leave, uh, on the on the sea or whatever like that." And uh, he's didn't he say something about you guys didn't make it? I think he said they left without him. Or no, something that, like that. Maybe that's what it was. But yeah, eventually the in the episode is he's or the beginning of the episode is he's on the beach, and the end of the episode he sees a whole bunch of them dead in the water. So, yep, which it, apparently he was responsible for. He says he he was responsible for. Uh, him and Charlotte, they go and find this secret, secret, secret uh, bunker that's in the middle of Westworld that he, as Bernard, would apparently didn't even know about. Uh, even though his DNA was hard-coded into it. Yeah, and which allowed him to go in there. Uh, he got to see the whole opening of the skull and taking the light bulb out. And he makes a comment of, you guys are, you know, you're cataloging people's memories and DNA which to me was very interesting because like so some CEO of some major company comes to spend his time on Westworld or spend her time on Westworld and has sex with uh, with a host like it collects that DNA and now the memory and the DNA is being cataloged and stored on uh, Westworld somewhere interesting or Delos's uh, databank somewhere 
So you can't even go to a, a saloon in the Old West and get peed on by a, like, bordello girl without it somehow having a record now. <laughs> it's nothing sacred anymore. It's nothing sacred. Uh, I mean, I don't know what that would play in the scenario of uh, recreating, you know, timelines, if, if that's real or fake or whatnot, you know, re- recreating memories. But I think it would definitely be... It's interesting because he's... he's they, they... Well... Charlotte says the Delos one, or not Delos, but whoever it is that she's talking to on that encrypted line that they needed a, a host to leave the park and go somewhere to be delivered. And it ended up being Peter Abernathy, which is uh, Dolores' original dead. Right, yeah. So, I mean, what do you think that's all about? Well, there was that bit of a mystery from season one where they discovered that somebody was transmitting encoded data from a host. And apparently that host is uh, Peter Abernathy, and that could explain why he went kind of schizo. And I don't understand where, like, I thought they decommissioned him. Right. But then at the end of the season, when they reprogrammed all of those decommissioned hosts, then they're all back in the wild. Mm -hmm. And... um, yeah, so like I, I'm really curious, what is his importance? Like, what exactly is he holding on to? What is Dell's? And I mean, this is only the first episode of I'm assuming ten. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is going to be a long drawn out mystery. But they definitely catch up to him at some point because if you ever watch the uh, the teaser trailer for the season, there's definitely shots of him like being uh, interrogated or something happening with him. So he does come back. I'm really curious to see where they go with it because, you know. Now it's like, well, what is so important about him specifically, but what is Delos trying to accomplish with this information that they would be willing to let these even high-ranking people die if they don't get what they need from from this thing? Yeah. Like, they would just basically say, oh, we'll scrap the whole thing. If we don't get what we want, it's not worth it. Right. And, you know, in both timelines, you have Charlotte constantly asking Bernard if he's okay looking to him to be like, hey, what's wrong kind of thing, which, you know, could be happening because she sees that he's obviously a nervous wreck, or it could be that she knows that he's a uh, host and seeing what it is that he knows or, or, you know, trying to gleam something off of him. Then in the future timeline or the other timeline where you have that CEO guy come in, he's constantly, like, the camera shows him constantly looking at, uh, um, Bernard, like basically looking at Bernard's reaction to th- events that are happening. When, like, when you see him on the beach and he's looking at all the different hosts dead in the water, uh, you know, a normal person would be looking at the dead bodies or the dead hosts also, but he's more looking at Bernard's reaction to all the dead bodies. So that's, I think, is very interesting. Yeah, they're keeping their eye on him for something. Yeah. And. Man, how nasty was that when he had to, like, inject that one host's brain juice into himself? I didn't understand what, what that meant. Like, why would that heal him? Why would that correct his corruption that the thing kept saying that he had? Well, he... Apparently, that's that must have been some kind of fluid that's important for, like, their neural processes. Because when he got hit in the head in the barn... It started leaking out. It was leaking out of his mm-hmm. ear, yeah. And okay. slowly, he was starting to, like get like shaky hands it's either some kind of conductive material or 
basically like some kind of vitamin paste or something that keep the that part of it going because um like we've seen them and they're pretty organic for the most part but when we saw them scalp that one indian uh host Mm -hmm. and basically like brain him he does have like one layer that looks like brains but then right underneath that is a casing and then you have like this light bulb looking thing which I thought was so weird because that tech was like, you want me to do it here? It's not a very sterile place. It's like, what are you worried about? One, it's it's a host body. Two, it's not like they're going to catch a disease. And three, it's, what's the sterile? Like, I don't know if you just meant because of the, like a computer chip kind of thing, sterile or, or I, what? I'm guessing that would have to be more it, yeah. Because like he, yeah, when he pulls it out, he still kind of blows on it a little bit, like an old Nintendo cartridge. <laughs> and I was like, all right, let's plug this in. And it works or whatever. So, uh one of the other things was uh, the the man in black, William. He runs into Ford, essentially, in the body of a little boy. I think that's the same little boy that was like uh, Ford's... Was that younger Ford or was that Ford's brother or something? I believe that was younger Ford. Okay. In season one. In season one. So Yeah, because he was still more machine. Like right, right. shot him in the face, he was like a robot. Yeah. Um, Essentially, Ford gives him the message like, "Hey, you finally got what you wanted. This is a, a you know, this is the world where anything could happen. You could actually die, and this is the start of the new game. And you're kind of the key piece because it ends where you begin, and it begins where you end, or some shit like that. Uh, I mean, what did you think of that? Like to me, that's like that's like these. <laughs> I, I see it as like these these couch." Uh, warriors that you know play first person shooters all the time and they think they can go into a real world scenario and and because they have all this practice of, of playing first person shooters they would know how to deal with uh, you know a real terrorist situation or something like that like that's what I feel like with William like he, he's really good at Westworld but the idea <laughs> in, in Westworld those things can't actually kill you and he's gotten bored with the fact that they can't kill him now they can kill him can he actually hang well, I mean, he was recovering from a bullet wound from last season, and then he, you know, managed to hold off two other rampaging hosts that were very close to killing him. Uh, thankfully, one of his buddies got shot first, so that gave him, like, the, the warning to right, duck. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, this is what he wanted, so, I mean, I guess we're going to see. This would be the <laughs> ultimate lesson of, you know, you, you know if you can... Talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Can you walk the walk? I, I, what do you think of this being a new mystery? I hate it. It's going to be the next maze, and the maze was kind of like, well, I mean, metaphysically it means something, but it's kind of really wanted to see a maze. You know? <laughs> not a metaphorical thing. <laughs> not, not a yeah, not a journey, uh, an inward journey of yeah. trying to discover yourself, but actual, hey, there's some treasure at the middle of this maze. Thing. Yeah, something like, oh, you know, you touch the thing in the middle of the maze and like you can upload your brain into like the worldwide web and the whole planet <laughs> is yours or you can take over this moon base or whatever this thing takes place in. Yeah, I don't know. I think that would have been a little bit too much if uh, if it'd be. I don't know. I, 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 who knows? It could still end up being something like that. Obviously, Ford was able to uh, program somewhat of his consciousness into the 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 body of his younger body. So, who knows? If maybe he has transcended and become part of the Matrix so to speak that's what i was wondering like do you think that was just like a recording of ford because it definitely had some ai component to it or do you think he 
he programmed a copy of his brainwave. So even though it's not technically Ford, because I don't think Ford's still alive, whether electronically or otherwise. But well, you already know my opinion on that. So (laughs) I know you're like electronically biased and possibly robot racist. But (laughs) (laughs) look, I mean, it's just saying that there's no. I don't think that uh, if you were to be able to download or upload your consciousness into a computer that's no longer you because it's just a mapping of your brain waves and and what your responses of what you've done to that point um, but isn't that what we are as flesh beings though i think we're a little bit more not not getting into a soul thing because i don't believe in souls or anything like that but i still think the the ability to learn is not the same as what it is with ai or anything like that so well, what if the secret is memories, building upon memory and experience? You're right, but I just don't think that computers do it the same way that humans do. So, uh, well, they do it faster. Do they? I've heard. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't. I think it's more like the thing that you get with uh, Jor-el in the, the Fortress of Solitude. He's essentially just programmed in every response that you could possibly have to any question, and thus it picks whatever question or you know statement you make to 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 answer it with. Oh well, I agree with you there. I agree that that was just some like really high tech game of twenty questions. A user interface, if yeah. you want to do like yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I I I am interested in what happens with the William part of it and. From the the looks of it, for the later on in this season of Westworld, you know we're gonna see the Jimmy Simpson version of uh, uh, William, the, so the younger version, and he it looks like he brings Dolores out into the real world at, at some points. Yeah, there's they definitely look like they leave the park mm-hmm. in some form, and I really want to see that. I'm super stoked for this season just because I have no idea what they plan on doing, and I trust the people, the talent behind it. And I want to see it at one point in when Bernard is with the other uh, Delos people, and they're you know going around. Uh, uh, they they come across a Bengal tiger. Yes, that uh, shouldn't exist in Westworld. It, it's from another park, and they're like, "Oh no, no, nothing's ever crossed parks cro- park borders before." So, do you have a theory on where the Bengal tiger would come from? Yeah, according to Reddit, if you go into the Delos website, it breaks down a little bit more information because they hmm. and like anticipation of the show, I guess. And I believe one of the worlds is called like Raja World or something to that effect. Interesting. So it's got like a, a like Hindu vibe, I guess. And so kind of like a Aladdin's lamp thing, maybe, or uh, like very like I guess Taj Mahal like. Oh, I suppose. okay. So and yeah, very, then... um, that level. Because I never understood why there was a tiger in like Agrabah. <laughs> like, that's supposed to be the Middle East somewhere, <laughs> kind of nondescript. But it was like that. That, that thing's important for well, sure. That's you know that's just the way that we think of over there. It's the all Middle one East, giant. They have elephants and monkeys <laughs> and, and yeah. Uh, so I, I I don't know. It's it's it, that's definitely because we we were talking about that before when we we heard about Shogun World. Uh, the the idea would there that the, and the fact that there's six other or five other worlds. So you have Westworld, Shogun World. If they threw in Roman world and uh, what was the other medieval. one? Medieval world. 
that that would have been five. So then uh, we still figured out what would be the sixth one. We we he said maybe Future World, but maybe it's uh, Raja World. I and my theory still stands that I think they should have a like a twentieth century world, so that you could just live out the like uh, life as as the twentieth century was. Yeah. You know, it's the future, you're bored, you want to slum it like they did back in the old days. You know what's funny is I was watching um, the new Lost in Space uh, series on Netflix this weekend. And at one point in time, they're talking about the 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 launches, like NASA launches, right? So they're, you know, in 1976, this launched and this exploded. You know, the Challenger exploded in 1986, 2003s, you know, this, this happened and stuff like that. And it was like, they stop at 2003 and it was like... You know that that show takes place way into the future, but yet you don't have any examples past two thousand three. Like that seems weird. Well, that's because that's when SpaceX took over and everything just worked. <laughs> it worked fine. Yeah. <laughs> there's no there's no examples of of something yeah, going there's wrong. No more blow ups. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, the future stuff like stuff that's set in the future always do. I mean, look at look at the Star Trek movies. You know, they're playing sabotage from Beastie Boys. Like that's not just that's not like just uh oldies that's like ancient classic mu- classical music would be i mean i guess we still play classical music now but it seems like that'd be weird for them to play sabotage I, not that i didn't i didn't mind it because i like that song <laughs> and i like those movies yeah but i mean i guess it's hard to come up with something that's like futuristic but future for us but yeah yeah past for them past like, for them futurama did it though like they would talk about like the wars that are that came before and and obviously wouldn't have been stuff that we had lived through yet you know who did a good job of doing something like this starship troopers true they had contemporary music that sounded futuristic but was also like kind of throwbacks to what david bowie songs mm-hmm. and a few other things and those came out really awesome and I, you know I think I prefer those to the originals. <laughs> you know what also is uh, um, uh, uh, Demolition Man? Like, not so much music, but there's the part when they, they do the, the rings on their head oh, yeah. to, to simu- simulate sex. And she she takes it, or he takes it off because he's freaking out. And she's like, what? Actual, you know, biological swapping or whatever? You know, after there was <laughs> fluid HIV. Transfer fluid like transfer. Yeah, she's like, after there was HIV, there was... And then she just spouts off a whole bunch of new, like, acronyms. Uh, and just like, eh, I, I, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I I mean, it's... It, it. I mean, that's like a little tiny nitpick, but... Uh, was there anything else about the episode that you really that really stuck out that you want to go over? Yeah, Stubbs is back. Stubbs, and I found that really weird. <laughs> like last we saw, he was wasn't he trapped inside of the control rooms and stuff like that? No, he got ambushed by some of those weird, uh, like black skinned or really like weird costumed uh, hosts. Oh, okay. The ones that we see are like working with Dolores. Yeah, they're like free or they've escaped somehow mm-hmm. they're like rebels mm-hmm. yeah he got ambushed by them and like that was the last we saw and now here he is again with no explanation as to what which happened, so. could definitely go with the the theory of uh this is all that's all just virtual stuff because that would be like the the one character that they brought in so that bernard would feel like okay and familiar and stuff so that he could he would be more accepting to uh give up the information that she that they want because everybody else is someone new in that scenario. 
Well, yeah, like, and that's the same for us too. Like, we yeah. don't know any of these people except for Stubbs, so we would naturally gravitate, I think, more to him. And what about the the other host that's obviously working with Dolores, the the female? She looks like she was scalped at one point. I thought she was wearing like a some kind of reef crown or something. Yeah, like one of those thorn crowns. That I don't very Jesus like. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. I couldn't tell if it was if it was blood or if it was some kind of crown, but it definitely looked weird. It definitely looked bloody. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, Elon Musk's ex-wife, apparently. No. Two-time ex-wife, yeah. Really? I found that out after the first season ended, and I'm like, whoa. I mean, and she, yeah, she was in the first season, and I know I've seen her in other things, but uh, what, what was it? Was there anything that she does that would make... So that's the Tallulah Riley character, right? Yeah. Or actress, not character. But Oh, yeah, she was in The Boat That Rocks, or Pirate Radio, depending on which version you saw. Um, Pirate Radio with... Uh, Chris O'Dowd and oh, I was thinking of was it Christian Slater? Oh, that's pump up the volume. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anything else? Was there anything else that you wanted to bring up? Uh, not at this time. I'm nope. curious where they're going. Wonder what the new narrative of the door is. Um, we got to see some peen in this episode, but no real boob. So yeah, yeah you saw uh, Lee Sizemore. Simon Quartermain, Quarterman, Lee Sizemore is the name of the that writer guy. Ah, okay. Yeah, the Englishman. So definitely at least, uh, some more size. <laughs> I it, it's we also you know you also saw Stephen Ogg's character gets ki- get killed right on the beach. Uh, Re- Rebus, the, the guy who drinks all the milk yeah, all the time, the, the sideburns dude. It was so. funny is because he when he right when he's about to, before he gets killed he comes running out and he's like. Killing women? That's not acceptable. And and they shoot him. But then later on when you see after the party when he's when the hosts are all killing humans, like he's got the the shooting gallery with the woman having the cup of glass or the glass of water on top of her head and he's obviously killing a woman there. So <laughs> we all know that it's part of his narrative is to basically be like a homicidal rapist or something. Yeah, that's true. So, so- that's another potential clue that that whole section is a simulation, and like, because that was an out of character thing for that guy to do. Mm-hmm. So either that was like a gross continuity error, or then there's something wrong, and we're being shown misinformation. I, I assume that everything we're shown is misinformation <laughs> on this show. It's just uh, yeah, and I think it's exactly like what uh, we were talking about with uh, with season one. We had the two alternating storylines. Basically, what was happening with Maeve was happening in real time, and we would jump back and forth between the man in black and William, or was he called Billy? Or were they calling? I him think William? sometimes he called him. I think she called him Billy. Yeah. So in this season, I think Maeve is still going to be the main like forward continuity, and we're going to just be jumping back and forth with Bernard like the whole time. So very interesting to see how it shakes up. It looks really cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. If anybody has an opinion on. Westworld Season 2, Episode 1, or any of the stories we talked about today, we'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter as at Mitchipedia, G-E-R. John's also on Twitter as... I am at Magic Bollocks, and let me know what drives you. <laughs> uh, the rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network website, geekleetradio.com. But until then, this is the Geek's Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. 
We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.